What is going on, everybody, and welcome back to the show with me, Connor Warman. I've got a great show for you guys today. I'm really excited to dive into it. Super cool story. Great conversation. But first, I just wanted to remind you guys that you can go find us on Instagram, Up Before You Won, Facebook, Up Before You Won, and now Twitter, Up Before You Won. So go check us out on that. Give us a like. You can stay up to date with all our latest content, what we're doing, the guests we're having on the show, other things we're doing. we got some really cool stuff coming up, so I'm excited for you guys to go check that out. Also, please go like us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and a review if you have been a long-time listener of the show. I really appreciate the feedback, good or bad. Thank you for that. And you can also find us on Spotify or basically wherever else that you get your podcasts. Okay. My guest today is Pat Barber. Pat always had the dream growing up of being paid to play a sport. And when he found CrossFit, it eventually gave him the opportunity to make that dream come true. Pat has been involved in CrossFit since 2003. Since finding CrossFit, he has competed at the games numerous times, worked for CrossFit HQ on the seminar staff, coached, and now works with his wife, Taz, on their business called Warm Up and Work Out. On this episode of the podcast, we take a dive into all of that stuff and so much more. It was truly an honor having the opportunity to chat with Pat, and I truly hope that you all enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. And now, without further ado, Pat Barber. I, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be honest. I, I feel like a little bit of a fraud with the up before you uh, <laughs> name of this podcast because I'm I'm not the guy what? who's up before you. Uh, I mean, I actually probably am right now with a a, a, yeah, a baby who's waking up at 5 a.m. every day. But I think it's like a default up before you, not a not a natural <laughs> zest for life the same way. Have you ever been a nor- uh, morning person? Never. No. 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 I think. I mean. Uh, I. I. Obviously, I don't know what the truth is behind it, but I, after listening to somebody talk about the different types of humans with like, there's night owls and then there's larks and then there's blah, blah, and they were supposed to be in tribes that would sleep and wake at different times to make it so they wouldn't get, uh, you know, eaten by whatever. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that that totally supports me. So I'm going (laughs) to go ahead and believe in that. Um but you know, I've I've definitely seen that trend amongst humans. There's ones who at night get this flood of inspiration, and then others who in the morning are just amazing. And I'm definitely the first of those two. Yeah, I I really don't feel like there's actually a morning person out there though. I feel like no one really really does like the morning. You just do it. <laughs> well, right. But I think that there's people who who even when they do it, they're like incredibly turned on. Like yeah. mentally, they're everything fires on all cylinders. Where there's people who do it, and then they like. They slug through it till about nine, and then all of a sudden it's like animal wake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I, I would agree for sure. Yeah, there's definitely people who, yeah, like you said, you just kind of flip it on in the morning, or some people flip it on at night. But yeah. <laughs> so, um, right. that was a good. That was, you started that pretty good. That was a good way to start. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just want to be honest. I want to. I want to lead the po- podcast off with honesty. <laughs> All right, so kind of going back to yourself growing up and uh, your childhood, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Um, I always wanted to get paid to play a sport. So I, I had this this uh, this fascination with being physical. And, uh, and for me, my only like, aspir- like aspirations beyond any given like 
athletic event I was doing was to one day get paid to play a sport. So that was, that was what I wanted to be. Any sport or anything in particular? No, I actually, I was never a, uh, I was never pigeonholed into one thing. The closest to that was like, I, I played volleyball for a number of years because uh, my high school only had one sport, which was volleyball. And so I, I played that. And uh, so that was like, oh, maybe I'll go play in Europe or something like that. They only had volleyball? Yeah, I went to a very small private school up in the mountains, actually, behind my house here that uh, I graduated in a class of 10 kids. So I, I very small school. It was preschool through 12th grade, only had about 167 kids in it from across the whole preschool through 12th grade. And I went there from fourth grade onward as little college prep school. But uh, there's like a there, there was a community that was originally founded called the Mount Madonna community. And then they people who attended that community who are followers of this guy, Babaji, um, ended up founding a school that was like a non-religious school, but they had all these like brilliant teachers. Like my math teacher was this little Indian woman who was an employee at NASA who helped design like the foil on a wing, you know, and she taught me physics and, uh, calculus too. And then, you know, my English teacher was like an off Broadway guy who also ran the theater program. And so there was all these brilliant teachers and they had this small college prep that we went to, but it was cool. It was a, it was a great little experience. So did your whole graduating class then just play with you on the volleyball team? (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. It was like, you had seven guys, uh, three girls. And I think six of those seven guys were on the team. Only one of them didn't want to play. And we ended up being really dominant for a number of years in volleyball because it's, it's, of the sports out there, big schools don't tend to field these huge volleyball teams, but we also happen to have a good athletic crew of guys. And to this day, the, the, the school is a really good dominant volleyball team. Were you a front row or a back row player? I hit outside. So I hit uh, on the left side. And so front row uh, as a as a dwarf, that was always an interesting experience. But mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, I can jump and uh, I enjoy that that part of the game. Yeah, I played uh, way back in middle school. We had a team, and it was like super nice. fun. It's it's one of those sports where it's just like if you can kind of learn it and like you're able to play it, it's just fun because you can go to the beach and play, and it, it's just like fun. Oh, yeah. You can play anywhere. That's all I play now is beach volleyball. It's uh, I used to play indoor six man. Went to college and played six man, um, and then I I started playing beach, and I mean I'm horrible at beach compared to how good <laughs> I am indoor. Like indoor, I can get my head over a volleyball net and on the beach, I can get my wrist over a volleyball net. (laughs) So it's like, it's a, it's a very different game, but it's, I mean, you think about what it is, it's as, as fun a sport as you can get two people on the beach in shorts by the ocean, you know, everyone's in swimsuits and you're just having fun in the sun. Come on. Like it's about as good as it gets. It is hard. It is one of those, it's one of those things though, where if you, if you're good at playing volleyball and someone is like, Hey, I want to play with you and they're not good mm. it's really it's really not fun yeah <laughs> like so so and it, it's definitely one of those games where people are like oh i can play and you're like really kenya <laughs> <laughs> and uh but you know i've i've definitely had my fair share of yeah those experiences playing and then when did you you had this dream of being paid to play sports growing up when yeah. did that volleyball dream kind of just fall apart uh i actually i i think after when i started getting really heavily into volleyball in like 16 17 18 i realized that there's no i mean there's no professional league for that so i i never i never wanted to pursue it much further than just to play to have fun but the the dream of getting paid to play sport was still there um and lo and behold i ended up 
I did end up getting paid to do CrossFit, which was kind of fun. <laughs> so I, I ended up, I ended up doing my, my life goal, which was cool. <laughs> okay. So then yeah, leading in the CrossFit, how and when did you find CrossFit? So at that school I was telling you about, um, when I was 18, that was 2004. So I was a senior and Tony Budding, the original media director for CrossFit, um, and Nicole Carroll, the current director of training for CrossFit, they were both teachers at that school. Um, and Nicole was a pottery teacher and Tony was my, uh, creative or he was my creative writing teacher. Um, but they wanted to learn how to do a clean and jerk because they heard clean and jerks helped volleyball players be more explosive. So they, they Googled, uh, uh, clean and jerk Santa Cruz, which is where we are. And mm-hmm. they ended up getting in touch with CrossFit Santa Cruz. Um, it could have been Yahoo at the time. I don't know. They may, may have Googled, may have <laughs> yeah. Yahoo did. Um, who knows? Maybe it was ask, ask Jeeves at that point in time, but they, they made it happen. And, uh, Tony ended up, uh, finding CrossFit Santa Cruz and he went in, he's like, I want to clean and jerk. They're like, Hey, we do this CrossFit stuff here. And ended up being like, fine, I'll do some CrossFit stuff. So he, he started following Greg uh, and Greg, uh, had these like brilliant things that he was saying, cause Greg's a very intelligent human. Um, and Tony ended up bringing CrossFit back up to the high school there and uh, teaching the volleyball players how to do CrossFit. And that was how I got into it in like 2003, 2000, late 2003, 2004-ish. Um, and so that was my initial entry into CrossFit. Wait, so Tony and Nicole, how, how were they involved in bringing it to you? Tony and Nicole t- were my English teacher and my pottery teacher, and they both started doing CrossFit at CrossFit Santa Cruz, and then they started teaching it at the school. Nicole, so they Carroll, brought it. Nicole Carroll was your teacher. She was my pottery teacher, yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, right? That's like talking uh, about like right place at the right time for you. For me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, back then, Nicole was just like a little kind of patchouli-wearing hippie. Um <laughs> She, she would hate it if I said that because she told, I mean, to this day, she'll deny that she ever wore patchouli. She, she had another scent than she wore, but that was, uh, <laughs> that was, uh, she's a, she, Nicole's a, an incredibly amazing woman. Uh, so is Tony's an incredibly amazing dude, but yeah, they, uh, I was very fortunate to have them as teachers and I was lucky right place, right time for the CrossFit development. So then you kind of just got into it. Um, cause you heard about it from them. Yeah. So I was doing it with them at the school. And then when I graduated, I went down to college in LA for a year and uh, just kind of did it in the weight room there and then left after a year to come back home because I hated where I was in LA um, and started working at a local restaurant and doing room service and then going to the local CrossFit gym. So CrossFit Santa Cruz, the original one with like Greg and Annie and Hollis and Danielle and Rob Miller and all those guys. And and, uh, so we I was training there and my, my deal was that I got to, if I paid cash, I could do this four o'clock class that cost me 10 bucks a session. Oh wow! <laughs> and, uh, and if, if Tony was coaching, I got five bucks a session. So that oh, was nice. my, I would take my tip money and go in and do CrossFit. And one day I ended up, uh, stopping working at this restaurant and, uh, I drove by the gym and was like, Hey, I'm, I quit working at the restaurant and Tony was like, Hey, can you edit video? Cause we're, we're starting to ramp up this video production. And I was like, I've never done it before, but I can try. So we ended up, uh, he started flying me around the country to film all the CrossFit seminars. And I got to hear all the kind of the most brilliant people in the space talk. And, uh, I filmed seminar after seminar and edited all the footage down and kind of just sat behind a camera for a long time. And then CrossFit Santa Cruz split into a bunch of different gyms. 
Um, and one of the gyms that took the actual name Cross at Santa Cruz needed a new coach. Uh, so I was like, I can start coaching because I was coaching volleyball at the time and uh, started coaching. And, it, and then 2008 came around. I started competing and have done almost everything within the space since then. But yeah, that's uh, I was right place, right time and took advantage of many an opportunity that was given to me that probably, yeah. <laughs> probably uh, just lucky for a yeah. number of those. <laughs> uh, and so you were going around filming these seminars and back then there probably wasn't a lot of seminars going on, right? Well, uh, surprisingly enough, there was one to two a weekend. So there wasn't nearly the same number, yeah. but the seminars had 65 people per gig. You know, they, they had anywhere from like 50 to 70 people at every gig. Um, and there also had like, you know, sometimes 15 trainers at every gig. Um, and so it was nearly every weekend that I was traveling and I, I don't think I really got paid for it but I got free room and board and I got an amazing experience. Oh yeah, um, for sure. And, and it was interesting because the, the old seminars were very different uh, because the content around CrossFit was the same, same methodology, same definitions of fitness, but the refinement of the delivery was different. Uh, and the old seminars used to have the people who were specialists in their domain would talk on that specialty. So, you know, uh, Mark Ripito would be there and he'd talk on powerlifting and then uh, Coach Bergner would be there and he'd talk on oh, only wow. lifting and then mm -hmm. Buddy Lee would be there and he'd talk on jump ropes and Rob Wolf would give the nutrition lecture every time and da 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 da, -da. and Greg would and Glassman would come on and do all the what is CrossFit, what is fitness, what is technique and uh, they were definitely intense couple, couple day experiences and uh, mm -hmm. and it was it's been cool to see that refinement of the process over the years, but yeah, it's a, a very different, a different delivery with the same core content that we have these days, a much more refined, much more digestible version that we have now. Yeah. I, I'm always so impressed by those seminars. You don't ever hear like, you don't ever hear, um, like the delivery is so fluid and it's like flawless. It's it's been years. I mean, if you think yeah. about it, like, like I'm on staff still, I teach level ones and level twos. And, um, and I've been, I like look back at my notebooks and I've got like, you know, 20 pages, 20 notebooks, 20 full notebooks full of me redoing every single lecture, you know, like, mm -hmm. and you know, there's only a handful of lectures and I've, I've, I've been doing it since 2007. And so it's, it, you're, you're looking at, 13 years of lecturing hundreds and hundreds of times yeah. the same material. And it's like, it's how can you refine it to a way that it can be heard by the most people? And it's, it's been really fun as an individual to do it and also to see the progress of the people. And I think one of the things that that's unfair for people who are on staff is that people who are on staff like myself get to see their peers who are really good at what they do just go up and do something that they want to do and just knock it out of the park. So I get to see these people like Chuck Carswell and Mike G and Adrian Bosman go out and deliver material in a way that I'm like, damn, I wish I was that good. But I get to see it over and over and over and be like, all right, next weekend, I'm going to tweak mine to look like that. Or, and I don't know, it's a, it's a pretty insane refinement process in this kind of group growth that we've had within the L1 and L2 seminar staff. Yeah. And then 2008 comes around. Was that the first year of the games? 
2007 was the first year, but I had something to do in 2007. Like they were like, <laughs> we're going to do this CrossFit games thing. And it was like, it was like a, literally it was like tacked up on a whiteboard at yeah. the gym. It was like CrossFit games. And I was like, what? what the heck is this? And Tony was like, you want to come? I'm like, no, I don't want to come. Like you get, what are you guys doing? This is ridiculous. <laughs> and, uh, and I think I had like some music theory class that day. And I was like, ah, I can't miss my music theory class. I got to, I got to go sing some songs in, <laughs> and, uh, and so 2007 was the original year. 2008 was the first year that I competed though. You should have showed up this year and said the same thing. Yeah. What the <laughs> heck is this? I mean, aromas, like when I showed you the view off through the, the, the woods over there, aromas is kind of like a, just an angle off that way. Oh, to right. that. So it's pro- probably like 25 minutes from my house. Oh, wow. So were you there yeah. this weekend for the games? I was not. They had some pretty strict quarantine policies. So, like, if you if you weren't working everything um, and didn't get every on 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 the set like the team doing everything really early on, they just didn't let anybody up really. All right. So, two thousand and eight rolls around. This is your first games. I mean, obviously, this probably wasn't something you were like training for, like you would nowadays. Was it something you just kind of just showed up to? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I had. So I was part of the 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 team that, 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 uh, built the website and built the CrossFit game site. And I wasn't a, a, a programmer by any means, but I, I put in all the photos and I like uploaded guys stories and, um, I created, you know, nicknames for people and blah, blah, blah. So that was the year they were doing the documentary, the, the fittest on earth or no, the, uh, every second counts documentary. That's a great um, documentary. It's so funny to look back and watch. <laughs> well, did, do you, do you notice who's on the cover of that documentary? Uh, I don't know. I don't think I've looked or paid attention. This guy right here. <laughs> it's a giant photo of me on the cover <laughs> of that documentary. And uh, Savon and Carrie, who filmed that, they went up, approached Tony, and they're like, hey, Tony, should Pat be in the documentary? And, and Tony and Dave were like, nah, nah, he's not. He doesn't have a chance. He doesn't have any chance to like come even close to top 20. And I was like, then they're saying this in front of me. I'm like, screw you guys, like Tony and Dave. And I, I mean, I had no idea what the events were or anything, but I knew it was just a bunch of really fit people coming to, to compete. And, uh, so I'm like building all these guys profiles and putting them on the site and looking at all their stats. I'm like, this is crazy, but I'm going to go compete and have fun. Um, and I ended up getting fourth that year. So, uh, I ended up, beating everybody but josh everett who they filmed so they filmed like dutch lowey chris Spieler, a guy named matt mersky okay uh and uh and one other yeah who was that like football guy that they kept filming but he ended up doing really really bad john wellborn so john wellborn um I remember and john him. john yeah. wellborn he John's great. He's a yeah. good dude, and he created CrossFit football, and he runs yeah. a couple other things now. But he's a he's a good guy. Like I, I mean, actually, I don't I can't speak specifically to his character, but the, every time I hung out with him, he's always been awesome to me, super funny, and just really nice, and like pretty damn humble from my experience. But uh, yeah, he he definitely. I mean, you saw him. He's a he's a unit. Like, yeah. You guys like <laughs> six nine three hundred and thirty pounds or something. Like yeah. you guys. I, I was at his level one, uh, his very first one. And I was like, holy crap, look at the size of this fella. Um, and just, just a horse when it came to strength. But of course he wasn't going to do that well. Yeah. Um, I just remember specifically it was like the, they did some sort of trail run 
Um, and he just <laughs> was struggling. Dude, that was an 800 meter run. That wasn't oh, really? a trail. It was like, it was a single 800 meter run. <laughs> and, and don't get me wrong. It was like straight uphill to straight downhill, yeah. but it was one 800, not anything crazy, but that he was huffing wind yeah. like that. <laughs> I mean, he's a lineman, man. Like, what do you expect? <laughs> So you've competed at the games a handful of years. What has it been like to kind of see the games evolve and just kind of change from that, you know, kind of backyard barbecue style in 2007 and 2008? I think it's been awesome, in all honesty. I mean, I think it's really, really cool to see the development of uh, human potential in that space. Like just, you know, you think about most sports and like the way sports work is like people train to get physically fit and then they practice their sport. And then in the case of CrossFit, our sport is the training. So people train in our sport and then train some more. (laughs) So it's like, you've never had an athlete who's trained as much for, for as many things. So you're starting to see like these limits of human potential being pushed on like the strength spectrum, as well as the endurance spectrum. And you, you get these just physical anomalies, like the Matt Frazier's and the, the Rich Froning's that are, unbelievable athletes um and i mean of course the ladies as well like the tia claire toomey's and and the katrin davis daughters like i I don't mean to not throw their names in here just amazing specimens Mm -hmm. of humans but i've loved watching the growth of it i mean i i got to experience it from 2008 and i was competing all the way through 2015 i think was last year I, i competed um and so i was at the stub hub center and i was down there as an individual as a team i got to watch the development of you know the prize pools going from like 50 bucks to half a million like it's it's been really cool and i i think the the only thing for me that's been hard to watch is this this weird like this weird kind of there was a cultural adaptation within the crossfit community of CrossFit is the competition of CrossFit. So like they were having a hard time making a distinction at at a community level between how to train for the games and how to just be fit for life. Yeah. And then it went from that into a whole bunch of affiliates being like, I hate the games. I hate competition. Screw competitors. And I'm like, it's not like an either or guys. Like we can have both. Like you can have an amazing community component and, training and getting more fit and you can also have these elite specimens that we throw out there on a stage and and these are like heroes that we cheer for and go after and it's really easy to differentiate the training between those two and i just feel like the messaging wasn't always there necessarily from the top as well as you know at a community level people didn't quite understand what they were doing to really make that distinction and not fall into one of the two camps now, kind of just speaking of the evolution of the games and just the evolution of the CrossFit, the elite CrossFit athlete, kind of as it is, you know, for me, it's just been so, it's just crazy to look back at like 2008, 2010 and just see how strong people were and now see how strong they are now, but also how fast they can move. Like they move faster and they get stronger. And does that like, what, what surprises you the most about how the games and how the athletes have evolved? Yeah. I mean, we used to give the what is fitness lecture at CrossFit level ones. And we would say, you know, we're never going to have a human with a, a 500 pound back squat in a five minute mile. You know, like we would say those kinds of things and we would say, but we're trying to get as close to that as possible. And we've seen athletes do that. Mm-hmm. Now. We've seen yeah. multiple athletes in the same day, throw down a 500 pound back squat in a five minute mile, which those are insane 
feats mm-hmm. on the spectrum, you know, like, are they world-class in either domain? No, like the world-class back squatters are double that, you know, and world-class uh, milers are at half that. So it's yeah. like, it's, you're, you're, you're not talking like insane when it comes to the elite end of the spectrum, but in terms of what's been seen before, as far as what humans could do, like, that's crazy. Um, I think what's been interesting for me to watch is, is you're right. The strength of the athletes and the competence of the athletes got a lot better from like 2008 to like 2012, 2013. But I don't think it's increased much strength wise in terms of raw numbers in the, from like 2013 till now, you know, you're, you're seeing more athletes have these top numbers, but I think the top athletes at those times had the numbers that the athletes have now. And I think what's been really interesting, kind of a little bit of a plateau in terms of the ends of the spectrum, but what's been really interesting is what we're seeing represent itself on a, like a really fine detailed level is the stamina of athletes, the ability to keep going and to recover in a way yeah. that it looks like they only did one workout. And, and I think that that's where the evolution has been so surprising to me is like, if you give me me at my fittest training against any of the top games athletes right now, I could probably hang with them in any workout for one workout. Mm-hmm. You know, like if I just went as balls to the wall and went, went to town, but you start putting me against these guys across the course of three days, the ends of the spectrum that they're doing, the amount of volume that are packed in those three days. And it's like, nah, bro, like <laughs> I'm, I'm out. Like I'm, <laughs> I am bottom of the barrel. Like even me at my fittest is no way, but these, these athletes, their, their muscular stamina, their, their ability to recover is truly, truly been insane to watch that progress. Um, and what's really cool is I think it highlights a really good point of how much technique plays a role at the top end of sport. Like you look at any sport and the people who, have the most efficient technique are usually the best whether it's like a guy like jordan in basketball or it's someone like matt frazier and in crossfit like he uses just enough energy to get every little thing done no excess Mm -hmm. he keeps those barbells as tight as possible he has no like erroneous movement and you see these athletes who are close to that but don't have it who always get beat by a guy like that because not only does he have the engine but he has these like fine motor skills to just do everything just perfectly. It's pretty cool to watch. Yeah, no, for sure. I just think uh, you look back at some of the older games workouts, like from 2012, and like you can do them, you can do them pretty well. But you still start to look at some of the weights now, and it's like, well, you know, I don't really think I can do that. It's crazy. <laughs> it's like- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like the one, what was the one that they did? It was like the throwback to that first games that was 135 uh, overhead. And that was 235 this time. 235. Yeah. It's it's like <laughs> nearly doubled. And these guys, you know, Frazier's going nearly unbroken. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's it's pretty cool to see. Yeah, I remember. But he- I, again, I think I think people had that strength. There were guys at the top who did. Like, like I'm not going to lie, at the top of my game when I was – really fit i i 235 overhead for sets of seven would be totally doable i mean in 2007 that i couldn't pick 235 up to my shoulders you know (laughs) but (laughs) but in in 2015 different story um but but it it it, the people had that strength it was just not as it wasn't as prevalent to the point where you could see it put into a games event Mm. like 
where where it wouldn't just be humiliating for a lot of the athletes just sitting there staring at the bar. Um, so it existed at the upper echelon, but not not as not as often. Yeah, I feel like when you watch the games, you get a little kind of like lulled into just how elite they are. I always think it'd be funny to put like an average above average crossfitter yeah. next to him, you know? Just oh, to put totally. it, just I to mean, put it into perspective. Just a pace horse. Yeah, just yeah. to show people like, hey, this is what you're watching is pretty like legit. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, it, 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 similarly, if you like just took me and threw me on a bicycle and threw me in the Tour de France and they're like, and he's dead, you know, like <laughs> it, it'd be it'd be cool to see that at any top level. Just just a little pace horse next yeah. to him of like, this is what a normal person does it. And you're like, oh, yeah, like I'm putting myself in that hopper event that you were talking about, you know, probably doing singles on the 235 barbell and having the judge be like, oh, yo, yeah. you know, it's a. Uh, Shoulder overhead, not not clean and jerk, right? <laughs> yeah, walk. yeah. I can't do more than one. <laughs> You're like, homie, I I, I know uh, this is all I got. Leave me alone. <laughs> so now, uh, looking back, you competed for a long time. Do you ever miss it? Oh yeah. I mean, I I actually only ever trained in order to compete. Like, I never was a guy who was like, let me go to the gym so I can get my workout on. Like, I didn't care at all about that i even when there was no crossfit competition the only reason i went in is because my little brother would go in and i wanted to beat him in the workout that day so for me i've always loved the competition side of it and that's what drew me to crossfit as it was and when i got into competing it like provided me a stage and i'm like a theater major who loves this act of performing so yeah no i totally miss i totally miss competing now i will say i don't miss training Hmm. at all like i don't miss like hours and hours and hours of beating myself into the ground in order to be at that top level like that's definitely not something i miss like i've got far more fulfilling things in my life but the actual act of competing i I definitely miss for sure now transitioning out of competing so one while you were competing you were working for crossfit right yes and then was that all you were doing outside of competing Yep. So just working at gyms and, and, uh, working for CrossFit and, uh, competing. Yeah. So now you have this business, um, warm up and work out, right. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that kind of start? And I understand you like coach other, or you kind of help other gyms and do some consulting. How did you realize that there was a market for that in the first place? Yeah. So it was, it was pretty organic. Um, I, we, we've run many gyms throughout the years. My wife uh, started CrossFit New Zealand um, in New Zealand and I moved out there and she had these amazing systems in place. And uh, I was just a coach at the time, teaching level ones, level twos and coaching at other people's gyms. And I went and started coaching at her gym and, and she had this amazing ability to, sh- she's got a really good programming brain. So her ability to program CrossFit workouts as well as write kind of detailed lesson plans for how you'd go run the class she can do that really, really well. Um, so she would write those for the, the gyms in New Zealand or the gym in New Zealand. And it just made my coaching way better because I knew what to do. And then I could figure out how to do it. It's just like, here's your skeleton for what to do. Now put your pat into that and make it, make it awesome. And I'm like, great. Um, and that was kind of the first for me watching my own growth, like how valuable those lesson plans were. And then we moved over and we started running NorCal CrossFit. Um, so Jason Kalipa wanted to open up another facility. He had three or he had two and he wanted to open up a third. And I was working with him and he wanted me to move back to California and open up his third for him. And I was like, 
fine, man. But if we do, we have to do everything, you know, how, how we want to do it. Like you have no hand in how we do it because Jason is a, is a very good athlete. He's a incredibly hardworking, but he's not a systems guy and he's not a communication guy or a, I care about human movement guy. Like he's, <laughs> there's a lot, he's not, but <laughs> we were like, we were like, we really want to, we want to, if we do this, we're going to do it our way. So he was like, sure. So we came over, opened up a gym for him in this massive space and then started putting in systems like business systems, as well as coaching systems, as well as programming systems. And we, we essentially took, and he, his job was he went out and he got new business and our job was to make it work. So we created coaches, we developed backend systems to run things. We hired people, we brought them on board, put them in good places. And it was like, yeah, he got business. We made it work. And we went from like four gyms or three gyms in the Bay area to 22 gyms around the world. Um, all running the same program, all, uh, we had 80 coaches just in the Bay area alone. And we were in charge of coaching development and running all the lesson plans and everything. So when we were doing that, we, we realized we could cre- keep this really good consistency across, you know, 20 gyms and we're like more people. I was like, more people need what you provide Taz. And I was like, we should start a company called warm up and workout. Cause that's what we do. We write warm ups and workouts yeah. <laughs> um, and help people take that off their plate so they can focus on being the best coach they can and developing other components of their gym. So we were the first lesson planning company to launch in 2015. Um, and we kind of put it out there and we've always stayed small and just kind of been, a really tight team helping gyms who believe in the CrossFit methodology run better gyms. And that's what we do full time now. Now you, when you mentioned how you guys open with Jason Kalipa, you got the like 20 gyms worldwide or whatever. Was that essentially like a franchise kind of thing then? Uh, yes and no. A franchise would, would usually, I think it means you end up selling it to independent contractors. So they buy into your franchise. Our Jason's was more of an empire in the sense that he owned all the gyms. So it wasn't that, it wasn't that he was finding, having people come on and be like, I want to start a NorCal. It was, it was like, he was like, I'm going to push into this market and find Pat Taz, make me a few coaches. We're going to, we're going to run a gym in this place. And we were like, all right. So it was not necessarily a franchise. It was more of like a, a, an empire, I would say. So and you, I think Nat, yeah, go ahead. So you guys would have to go and say you wanted to open one, I don't know, Phoenix. You'd have to find people in Phoenix that you knew or that you trusted to run this gym. Correct. Yeah. It would, it would, or take somebody and bring them to Northern California, train them up, get them to understand what it means to be good at what we do. And then they would go out and open that space for us. Uh, it's cool. That you yeah. just have like all these gyms that kind of do the same thing. You kind of put your stamp on it in on the bigger, yeah. much bigger scale, but also I'm sure a lot of risk with that. Cause you're putting it in the hands of other people too, which can be good or bad. Yeah. It ends up being a little bit like, you know, a really nice coffee right? So if you're a roaster and you roast really nice beans, you source them from single source organic farms, then you spend some time with magic, getting them perfectly roasted. And, and, and then you yeah. ship them off to your, your baristas. And all of a sudden your barista is a total turd and he's never, he burns it all. And he like <laughs> smokes the milk and he, yeah. he's, he's over brewing it and it's too cold and da, da, da. it's going to be a less good experience for the client, the yeah. customer, but that's, that's kind of what we sometimes find ourselves in is how like we build this amazing thing and then we give it out. And we're like, I sure hope they deliver it well. So we're, 
we're trying to work really hard now on more mentoring of our affiliates yeah. so we can figure out exactly how they're delivering it and ways they can be better and all that kind of fun yeah, stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's the same way with CrossFit, right? You're at, at a level one or whatever, level two, you're giving people the information, trusting that they will pass it on to other people in the way that you would hope that they would. Yeah, you <laughs> hope, you hope, right? But I, I think too, with the level one, it was a little different because Greg's idea was that if better practices can come out of uh, other people manipulating what we do, then we want to take the better practice, right? So if, if someone can do it better, then we're going to, hopefully find that and then bring that into what we do and just call it what we do. Um, and that's always been one of my favorite parts about CrossFit is like, if somebody can make people more fit than CrossFit, then what all, all we're going to do is we're just going to do what they do and call it CrossFit. You know, like we're, we're not committed to the program of CrossFit. We're committed to the adaptation, which is getting more fit. Yeah. So if, if, if Jim Bob does his version and it happens to be better and more efficient at achieving the result of fitness with less injuries and all this other stuff, then shit, we're going to go do that. And we're going to put our stamp on it. And we're going to call it CrossFit. <laughs> so like, I think, I think part of his thing was just like, we don't want to meddle in your stuff. We want you to, we want you to screw it up and we want you to succeed. And, and we're going to hopefully take on best practices out of that. Yeah. That's actually Which it interesting. Has its its yeah. pluses and its minuses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So Back to um, warm up and work out. How does that work now? Does do people come to you and do you kind of provide them with? Is it always the same thing, or are you doing different services for different people? Yeah. So the generally the way it works is we write one program each month. Um, that's the most detailed program we can. It's it's a super awesome thirty straight days of programming as well as lesson plans that are attached to each one and. 30 days of programming is like 70 pages of writing. Like it's a lot of detail in terms of yeah. the warmups, the cool downs, the skill focuses, the workout briefs, the videos we put in, the movement stuff. Like there's a ton of detail there. So basically people pay us to license that per month. So they come and they're like, they're looking for something that they can trust and run in their affiliate and know that their clients are getting the best possible product. Um, and it's well thought out and their coaches are being set up for success and, the idea is that they pay us a monthly fee and then they license our product and they, they get it delivered to them and then they deliver it to their people. Um, so yeah, that's, that's generally how it works. Yeah. One, one work, one, one program that we write. And, uh, I think the variance in that program comes in the delivery of it because mm -hmm. when you think about it, and this is how I think about it, but when you think about it, g people who attend a CrossFit gym don't pay for the program because the program is for free online like almost every gym has theirs on their blog, the workouts that they post every day. Yeah. And if, if they don't, and, and you, you wanted a program, you just go on to CrossFit.com. It's free. It's been there free for since 2001 yeah. there. And some of the best programs in the world, they're all just online. You know, the Ben Bergeron stuff, you know, our stuff, like there's gyms that put the program for free. So when you go to a gym, you're not paying for the program. You're hoping that the program doesn't break you because that's, that's a bad program. It's, it's, yeah. but the thing you pay for is the human connection and the, the, the delivery from that coach. And that's what truly makes any sort of program unique uh, not program. I would say gym unique is their delivery of that program to the individual. And I, I'm never going to know somebody's members better than they are. So when they look to one member and they're like, Hey, on this workout, I want you pushing the run and coming in, barely being able to grab the kettlebell and then turning to the person next to him being like, I want you to take the run as your rest. And when you come back in, see if you can get right into the kettlebell, 
that little bit of variance across the same workout is what makes it special because that coach knows them. That's why you can pay 150 bucks a month and feel like there's value there as well as the community and the other life-changing aspects of it. But for us, the one program is never going to be an issue just because it's not the programming that makes a gym special. The programming can screw a gym up, but yeah. it's not what makes it special. There's plenty of great programs out there. Um, I think the thing that makes a gym special is the people that you have delivering it and your general value structure that you set up at your gym. For sure. I think it'll always come down to the coaching and it'll always come down to the community no matter what. Yep. Good. Yeah. Good coaches and can make you get you to believe in just about anything. And for sure. So now transitioning, life is a little different for you now. You have three kids, right? I do. Feels like a million, but yes, three. <laughs> How old are they? I have an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, oh no, an eight-year-old, five-year-old, and a soon-to-be three-year-old. No, soon-to-be two-year-old? <laughs> Something. Yeah, soon-to-be two. I, I keep saying two. <laughs> I have a two-year-old. He's going to be two this month. I have a, a kid who's four, going to turn five in January, and then an eight-year-old who just turned eight. Oh. So then what the, what is a day in the life like for you now? Um, both my wife and I work from home. Uh, so we kind of bought this homestead about a year ago. We have five acres, 75 fruit trees, 23 chickens, four dogs. Like oh, wow. That sounds sweet. A bunch of stuff. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so our time is spent. I mean, we're homeschooling our kids. We were doing that before COVID, but then, you know, the whole world imploded. So now <laughs> we're still doing that. Um <laughs> We, uh, my, our days are generally, we wake up, um, and either one of us goes and works or one of, uh, and one of us is with the kids or we switch and the other one works and the other one's with the kids, but we make breakfast, read books to the kids, hang out, do some schoolwork in the morning. Um, and then at right around 10 o'clock we'll, we'll, uh, either go off on a family adventure where the person who's working out in our kind of garage area here um, comes in and we'll all go on a family adventure, like to the beach or go to the shops or go walking through the forest and look for mushrooms and stuff. Um, and then after the family adventure, we come home and the person who didn't work will work. Um, and then right around five, we cook dinner and have dinner as a family and put the kids to bed at eight and go to sleep and do it again. And then, thrown in there we've got a bunch of uh house projects and work projects and podcasts and all kinds of fun stuff yeah so you guys also have a podcast um when did you start that and what do you talk about on that yeah we uh we started our podcast it's called an unreasonable family uh, it was called a tribe life but we found the word tribe to start to change meaning since we started it till now and uh I think it's taken on a bit of a negative context, which is one of the reasons we changed. Why, why do you um, say that? Well, the idea of tribalism, like the idea of your, your group of people is better than another mm. is something that is pretty prevalent in our current, uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, <laughs> current yeah. world state. Yeah, right. So there's a, there's a lot of tribalism and I, I just didn't want to ever be associated with tribalism. I wanted yeah, it okay. like, I think tribes can be a very positive thing, but I think right now it's not. And yeah. I also, you know, would hate for someone to take offense to me never obviously having a heritage of a tribe uh, using that word. So I, I, I changed it to an unreasonable family, which kind of fits our, our thought process on things uh, a little bit better anyway. Gotcha. Um, 
so it's a parenting podcast and it's just for fun. Uh, we kind of have no idea what we're doing as parents. So we're like selfishly wanting to talk to as many parents as possible who yeah. are doing this parenting thing as well and be like, what are you doing? Is it working? How's it going? What's <laughs> happening here? What's your thoughts on this? And so we, we started a, a podcast where we basically chat with other parents and, and figure out what they're doing. That's pretty cool. So yeah, you, yeah. you just, is it always other parents or is it just sometimes you too or what are you doing? It's sometimes, sometimes just us. Like if we haven't, you know, if we're stuck in the middle of a pandemic and we can't really uh, get many parents, we have internet at our house. We'll, we'll just chat with us. And if there's a particularly uh, relevant topic that we've been thinking on or talking about, or um, we'll, we'll do just us, but oftentimes it's other parents as well. Um, it's fun. You should bring the kids on and see what, how they think you're doing. <laughs> I've tried. I'm always like, Oaks, can I You're like, our oldest is always like you, you go to take a picture of him and he goes, no, no, no. And he like goes to like punch you and, and hit the camera. So I, I've tried though. I, I'd love to interview him. All right. So last, I got a couple ones. I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here um, to finish up. So what would you say are the three biggest kind of drivers or motivating factors in your life? Uh, I would say uh, three driving factors. Well, one, I really want to be a role model for my kids. Um, I like being seen as somebody who is competent, and I especially like being seen as somebody who's competent for my kids. So, you know, pushing forward with work projects and home projects and personal development, that's a that's a huge one. So that's one. Uh, two, I, I really kind of like... I enjoy having the freedom to and headspace to kind of do what I want, um, and take on and try any new thing. So when I think about why I work, it's so I can support that. So I can support the idea to, uh, that the idea that I, I, I should be able to like, I want to go travel to South Africa for a month and go do that. You know? And I, I think that, uh, I don't have many reasons why I like making money and, and the b- ability to kind of do what I want to do within reason is a driving factor. Um, and then to just have fun. Yeah, I, okay. I really enjoy having a lot of fun. That's and, good. <laughs> and I enjoy playing games and I enjoy kind of pushing myself and competing. And so that's a big, strong driving force in my life. Yeah. All right, cool. And um, what is one thing about you that other people might not know? Uh, for me, uh, I have a big, gigantic nerdy side that involves Magic the Gathering as well as Dungeons and Dragons mm. and this whole fantasy uh, enjoyment. Like I, I've listened to a lot of fantasy books in the like kind of elf and dragon sort of realms. Um, yeah, so I, I enjoy fantasy games like Magic the Gathering, specifically Magic the Gathering. So you, were you a Game of Thrones guy? Uh, kind of. I, I, I listened to all the books, um, mm-hmm. and then I watched the show. But uh, uh, And it's, it's great. Don't get me wrong. I think it definitely went hard in the paint when it comes to uh, violence and yeah. graphic nudity. And both of the things I'm, I'm totally okay with and enjoy, but uh, <laughs> I, I, definitely, I, I, I definitely think it, 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 uh, it packed a, a certain kind of punch, and I definitely enjoyed it, but I... I was not like a diehard. Yeah. I think there's better series out there that I'd love to love to see made. Yeah, I watched that too. But honestly, even at the end, I couldn't even name all the characters. I never knew. Well, their, <laughs> their names well, were too crazy. Did you read the books? No. So 
they cut out probably 50% of the characters from the books. Wow, really? Like, no joke, the, the books have so many characters. And to the point where, like, you're watching the show and there'll be characters that it's like three characters molded into one character is the character on the show. And then just entire entire swaths of characters that they don't even do. So the books are lots of characters, Jeez. lots of stuff going on. Do they stick to yeah. the same kind of storyline and plot? Yeah, it's similar. Um, I mean, he's not even done with the books. I think he's got two more books to do. And Isn't he done... like 100 years old? <laughs> he acts like it and he looks like it, but no, he's not 100. He just It takes him forever to write. He's like the least prolific writer of all time. <laughs> Yeah, I was not. I was not a fan of that ending. It just didn't seem right to me. I didn't even. I haven't even gone there. I oh, haven't really? even seen the final two seasons. <laughs> oh. No, like because I read all the books and the books weren't over. And yeah. I'm like, what? What? Is, what are they going to do in the show? Yeah. So I have no idea. So I got to. I got to go see those, and yeah. I, I might just for fun of it. Yeah. yeah. All right. And last thing here, um, what words of wisdom or advice can you offer to the listeners? Whether it's like CrossFit, business, anything, parenting, anything like that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I think I've, I've said different things and had different responses to that question, uh, throughout the years. I think right now I'm going through a, a bit of a, a transitional period of my own mentality where I had like the first time in my life I had, I became completely overwhelmed to the point where I couldn't function. Um, and it was incredibly as a person who's been competent and, never had anxiety, never had depression, never had anything going on. Um, it was very strange to have happen at 34 years old for the very first time. And I, I would just say that in the state of the world and everything that's going on, like take some time to not distract yourself and pay attention to how you're feeling and really be honest with yourself and, and find someone to talk to. Cause, uh, I, I, I found myself, with the amount of overwhelm that I had always being slightly distracted enough to the point where I never had to feel it. And I'm a, I'm an emotional guy as it is, but I, I never had to like sit and feel it and deal with it. And so things kind of slowly built up in all realms and then overwhelmed me. Um, but I would say, you know, put down your phone, delete social media for like a month, yeah. you know, s- stop watching TV, like literally do these things that make it so you, you know, don't listen to a podcast 24 seven. Don't mm-hmm. always have something in your ear. Like find a way to not distract yourself for a little bit of time and, and just listen and see if you're okay. Cause, uh, cause I thought I was, but, but I, I had been distracting myself anytime I got to a weird place. So, and yeah. I'm not a guy I'd like, like do social media, do your thing. But yeah. I'm not, I would say, try to just see if you can pay attention. Yeah. It is just, we, it just becomes such a world where you can always get out of your own head. You can always mm-hmm. drown it out with loud music, podcasts, movies. I mean, the, the opportunities are endless. You can honestly go a whole day without ever stopping and getting inside your own head and thinking about just things you got going on, which is crazy. Yeah. I'm with you, man. I, I was there. I'm the guy who's had one to two computers with me at all times for 15 years. Yeah. And then is it cool for you to look back and look back at like the 2008 games and think about you and Jason Kalipa and Chris Spieler and just these guys, like back then you were just getting together for this low key competition. And now is it cool to see like you're doing your thing? Jason's doing his thing. Spieler's got his things to see how all these like CrossFit original people have just kind of like gone off and done their own thing. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really cool. I think it's, it's slightly sad to me. Um, because I think for some of us business got in the way. 
mm-hmm. where okay. in an attempt to make money, you shit on the people around you. Um, and I think that especially Jason Kalipa and myself, like that's, that's, that's what he did to every person who came around him. And it, and it's really hard to see that because I do look at old photos and I do look at old things and I'm like, man, like we actually were friends, you know, like we were, you know, good people. And uh, I, I feel that there's some people who've in an attempt to profit themselves have, have let down the people that they uh, came up with. And it's not, I, I, I'm not mad at anybody's success. It's more just like, it's a bummer to see that it went that way for some, that that was important enough to do like that. Um, and I do, however, I think it's really awesome to look back and there's plenty of people who are not in that space. There's plenty of people I look back and I give a text or I shoot a call to, and I'm just like, man, you guys are like, what about this time or blah, blah, blah. And it was, it's just, it's fun. Like yeah. it, it's all, all in, in, in great fun. And uh, it's sad to see that the ones who kind of like stomped on others, but it's, it's cool to see the ones who are, are thriving on their own right and doing it the right way. For sure. And Pat, where can uh, people find you, learn more about you, learn more about the business and what you guys are doing? Uh, we are warmupandworkout.com for the affiliate programming stuff. We have Life Outside the Box, which is a parenting mentorship program that also has a fitness program associated with it. Um, and then you can also look at An Unreasonable Family. Um, all those accounts on Instagram or .com, you go for those those things or then you'll find them. Cool. Awesome. Well, Pat, thanks a lot for joining me today. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. We'll see you next week for another episode of the Up Before You podcast. Thank you, everyone, and have a great day.